This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Two lengthy shows tonight, so there's little time left for me to contribute much except to say our first show was first heard in 1947. It's Challenge of the Yukon and the episode entitled A Dog Named Mabel. Challenge of the Yukon. It's King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the North Country, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King! On, you husky! Gold. Gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the greedy race for riches. Now back to the days of the gold rush when Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog, King, battled through storm and snow to preserve law and order as they met the challenge of the Yukon. At the trading post in Selkirk... Pete Carruthers sat in a corner trying on mucklucks while Francois, the proprietor, carried on his usual patter of local gossip. So now we get bank here in Selkirk, you say. <laughs> That'd be a good thing, bank. Many bad men come to North not for prospecting in ground, but in people's pockets. Ah, oh, Francois, you're always suspecting the worst in people. Most of them are pretty honest, I find. Oh, you, Pete, you trust everyone. Never have I seen such a man as you. You have good heart, but you are bad businessman. Maybe it's because I haven't too much to lose. I can't complain, though. My claim is paying off, and I have quite a bit saved. You give away more than you save. Yeah. How you like them boots? These fit all right. I'll put the other one on. Hello, Francois. Oh, hello, Pete. Hi there, Jake. Hello, Jake. You want something? Well, I need some flour and tobacco. Yeah. I hate to ask you, Francois, but I need a little more credit. Jake, me, I am generous man, I think. Yeah. But three times now, I give you credit when long time ago I should stop. This time, I must say no. But, Francois, I'll pay you as soon as I get some money. What's wrong, Jake? You broke? Oh, I had some tough luck. Give him what he wants, Francois. Put it on my account. But, Pete, Gee, is... thanks, Pete. You're sure a good fella. That's all right, Jake. Well, all right. I get it for you. Say, I just saw Red Davis and Lucky Darrell in the cafe before I come in here. They said they were going over to your house to see you. Say, I'm glad you reminded me of that. They said they'd be over today, and I clean forgot about it. Uh, here you are, Jake. Uh, well, thanks, Francois. Don't thank me. If I had to say so, you would not get this flour and tobacco. Never mind, Francois. Jake will pay me back. You're darn tootin', I will. Well, so long, King. You should not give your money to Jake. He is no good. Well, maybe he's just having a little hard luck. Never have I seen such a man as you. How many men have you grubstaked? <laughs> not too many. But you never can tell. If they hit pay dirt, half of it'll be mine. 
But some of them you hardly know. They have to file their claims here, don't they? When I have papers to show I grubstake them, I'm entitled to get half. Well, maybe I am wrong. Maybe the world, she need more men like you. You are a trusting man, but I would not say a wise one. <laughs> I'll take these mucklucks, Francois. I guess I'd better wear them. I'm in a hurry. I have to get back to my cabin to meet Red Davis and Lucky Darrell. Oh, hello, Pete. Hello, Pete. Hi there, Red and Lucky. I've been waiting for you. Come on in. Uh, we wanted to talk to you about grub sticking, Mr. Pete. Oh, well, that's it. You wouldn't be taking much of a chance this time, Pete. I got a good tip from this friend of mine who just made a big strike. There's plenty of gold up there where he is. And if we can get enough supplies together, we'll have a fortune in no time. Oh, good. Oh, I'm sorry Jane and my young son aren't here. I'd like to have you meet him. Uh, make yourself at home, boy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Nice cabin you have here. Uh-huh. Jane would like it better if we were a little closer to town. You uh, said you had a son, too, didn't you? Yeah. Jimmy's nine years old. Now, how much do you boys figure you'll need? Well, uh, you've grubstaked people before, haven't you? Yeah. Let's see. Well, well, I can give you exact figures if you want to see them. Keep all my papers here in this tin box. Some blank forms here. You use. Ah. Ah. Here we are. I can't let you have as much as I gave Slim Jackson. My savings are getting low. But I feel this is a good investment. How about 300 well, That ought to be enough. Yeah, yeah, we could make it on that, I think. All right, boys. I'm going to take a chance on you. Hey, yeah. There's $300 in gold. Now, you sign this paper. This pencil. Oh, sure. I fill in the money here, don't I? That's right. I guess we really ought to have a witness, but <laughs> I trust you, boys. Yeah. Now you sign it, Lucky. Right, sure. There you are. Maybe we'll all be rich someday. Well, come on, Lucky. Thanks a lot, Pete. We'll be seeing you as soon as we hit pay dirt and come back here to file a claim. Well, I guess your wife and son are coming now, Pete. See a boy and a woman coming up the trail. Stay and meet them, why don't you? We'll meet them when we have some good news for them. Come on, Red. Uh, goodbye, Pete. Bye. Good luck. Well, we did it. If that claim is as rich as I think it's going to be, he's made a good investment. He's not a very good businessman. Why? What do you mean? He didn't have any witnesses there. Nobody saw us get that money. No, but he's got our signature. If that claim is as rich as you think it's going to be... It might be a good idea to get that paper somewhere. If he couldn't produce a paper, he'd have a hard time proving he grubstaked us. Uh-huh. Tin box wouldn't be hard to open. Well, let's not count our chicken. There'll be plenty of time to decide what to do after we get paid, or if we do. Quiet. Here's his wife and kid. What's he carrying? He looks like a pup. Howdy, ma'am. Hello there. You just came out of our cabin, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. We've been to see your father. I'm going to surprise him. Look what I have. <laughs> well, he's a fine pup. Now, don't you bother these men, Jimmy. They're probably in a hurry. Well, I can't wait till Dad sees Mabel. Uh, he'll like him, all right. Come on, Lucky. I don't see why you want to call that dog Mabel. Oh, I like that name, and Mabel likes it, too. He knows it already. Oh, all right, Jimmy. Then Mabel it is. Here's our house, Mabel. Now, go on in and meet Dad. Now, Dad, what do you think it is? A cow? A strange-looking animal. 
I never saw such big feet. It is an odd-looking pup. Zeke Smith gave it to Jimmy. I guess maybe there's every kind of a dog you could think of mixed up in them. But, but I think he's beautiful. <laughs> Mabel and I are going to be the best friends in the world. As Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police drove his dog team along the trail bordering the river near Selkirk, he heard a child's voice calling frantically. Come on, What's wrong down there? Jimmy, come out of that water. No, I gotta get my dog. My dog's out there. Jimmy, come back here. Now, get up there on shore. But, Sergeant Preston, my dog's out there on that piece of ice. It broke away. I I just gotta get him. I'll get him for you some way. No, get out of this water. Oh, look, he slipped. He's in the water and he's going under. He'll get drowned, he's so little. All right, King. I guess you can get him, boy. Go get him, King. Stay up here on shore, Jim. King will get him. Your dog won't drown. Mabel's just a pup. I hope King can bring him in. Current's too strong for a pup. The King can handle it. There, see? King got him. Come on, King, old boy. We'll have to run along the shore. Yes. Current's sweeping them down. Poor Mabel. He's half drowned, I'll bet. There. King's bringing him to shore. Good work, old boy. Well, there's your dog, Jim. Still very much alive. I'll put you inside my party. Come on back to my sled, Jim. We'll get you and these dogs back to your cabin and dry you off. You think you'll get a bad cold, Sergeant? No, we'll dry him off and warm him up, and I'm sure he'll be as good as new. While Jimmy changed his clothes, Sergeant Preston talked to Mrs. Carruthers. Mabel and King dried off before the fire. Just what kind of dog is Mabel? A mixture of about everything, I guess, oh. Sergeant. All I know is that he's more trouble than any dog I ever saw. He chews everything up and takes things out and buries them in the snow. Well, most pups do that. Not quite as much as this one, though. Pete is furious. He had to go down and buy some more mucklucks today. Mabel stole the new one. Or rather, one of them. <laughs> Buried it somewhere, I guess. We can't find it anywhere. Well, can't you train Mabel not to do it? We've tried, but nothing seems to work. He's very quick about it and rather sly. If Jimmy weren't so fond of him, we'd give him away. He's threatening to do it anyway. Oh, here's Pete now. Hello, dear. Hello. Oh, Preston, I thought I recognized your team out there. How are you, Pete? Sergeant Preston just saved Mabel from drowning. Oh. Well, I'm afraid I'm not going to thank him for it. That dog is a pest. We've got to get rid of him. Oh, no, Pete. If he steals one more thing that belongs to me, I'm going to get rid of it. He'll uh, get over it when he's a little older. Well, I can't wait that long. He's stolen mittens, boots, caps, and everything you could think of. I'm reaching the end of my patience. It was a few weeks later. Red Davis and Lucky Darrell were camped a few miles outside of Selkirk. The appearance of the men had changed. Lucky Darrell had grown a thick beard that covered his face like a mask, while Red had shaved his beard off completely. Red was cooking their supper as he talked to Lucky. We'll stay here for a few days till we find out what's happening in town. Now, you better go into Selkirk tomorrow. I'm afraid somebody might recognize me and start asking questions. Nobody will know you with that beard. You didn't have one before. They'll probably recognize me, though, on kind of my red hair. I think we're taking a big chance doing this. We're not taking a chance at all. If we can find out when nobody's going to be at Pete's cabin, 
We can get into that tin box in two minutes. Red, uh, why don't we give him half the claim? After all, he did grubstake us, and legally it's his. Now, don't start that again. Do you realize if we give him half of it, that means we'll just get a fourth apiece? But it's a rich claim. There'll be enough for all of us. It's too rich to give away if we don't have to. Now, nobody witnessed it when we signed that paper. If we can get our hands on it, we'll deny that Pete ever grubstaked us. And he'll have nothing to prove that he did. Now, we're going to get that paper. But don't forget we have to file a claim. We'll file it after we get the paper that proves Pete owns half of it. Now, tomorrow morning, you go into town and see what's happening. Maybe they'll be having a party or something that Pete might want to attend. The following morning, Sergeant Preston stopped his dog team before the Carruthers' cabin. Young Jimmy was out in front playing with his pup. Hooking! Oh, Hello, Sergeant Preston. Quiet, Mabel. Don't you recognize King? How are you, Jimmy? Thought I'd stop and see how you are after you dip in the river. And uh, how's Mabel? Oh, we're both fine. It didn't hurt Mabel a bit. Good. Look at him. I think he knows Kingy's trying to show off in front of him. Mabel's trying to impress King, all right. Wants to play with him. Oh, uh, you're going to the big show in town tonight? Sure. Pop and Mama are taking me. I never saw a magician before. They say he takes things out of hats and makes things disappear and everything. I guess just about everyone in town will be there. Quite a treat for the people to have some entertainment. Jimmy! Jimmy! So, uh, hello, Preston. Hello, Pete. Something wrong? What's wrong, Pop? It's your dog again. I can't find one of my new mucklucks. He must have buried it somewhere. I, uh, I think this is the first time I ever saw you mad, Pete. I am mad, and this is the last straw. I told you, Jimmy, that if he hid one more thing of mine, that you'd have to get rid of that dog. Oh, Pop, no. I could brain that fool animal. I just bought that pair of boots a few weeks ago. Look at him, leaping around, showing off in front of King. King saved his life, and, and Mabel remembers him. You'd have hung your boots up on a nail or something. I'm through running our house to suit Mabel. Hanging everything up beyond uh, reach. Pete, look. Mabel just dug something out of the snow. Why, look, Pop. It, it looks like your boots. Mabel wants to play tug-of-war with King. <laughs> oh, my new mucklock. Uh, bring that here, you little scalawag. Jimmy, catch him. Mabel. Come here, Mabel. Give that to me. Mabel's a lively pup, all right. Jimmy's got to get rid of that silly dog. I won't have him around anymore. Oh, Jimmy's pretty fond of him. Of course, most dogs do that when they're little. Why don't you give Mabel one more chance? Here's your boot, Pop. It isn't hurt a bit. Now, you give that dog a good hard whipping. But, but I can't whip him for digging up the boot. It was burying it that was bad, oh. wasn't it, Sergeant? Uh, Jimmy's right, Pete. If Mabel is rewarded for digging up the boot, maybe he'll find some of the other things he's buried. You're a good dog, Mabel. Good old fella. You'd better show him the boot and pet him, Pete. Well, this beats everything. Having to pet him when I want to kick him in the slats. <laughs> well, if I get back some of my mittens and things, I... come here, Mabel. Good dog. You dug up this boot. I could kick all your teeth in, but you're a very good dog. <laughs> He's proud of himself. Look at him wiggle. Well, guess I'll run along. See you tonight, please. Jimmy says you're all going to see the magician. Yeah. Maybe I can make a deal with that magician to come out here and make Mabel disappear. Come on, King. Goodbye. So Bye, Sergeant. Later that night, Red and Lucky walked quietly toward Pete's cabin. A light snow was falling. You sure nobody in town recognized you today? Not a soul. 
<laughs> this beard makes me look like everybody else who wears one. We'll go back to camp tonight after we get that paper. And tomorrow we'll come into town and pretend we just got here and file the claim. You, uh, sure Pete won't be home tonight? I told you everybody in the place is going to see that magician. There's never any entertainment up here. Nobody would miss it. Oh, here's Pete Tavin. There's a dim light burning in it. Nobody's home or it'd be brighter. There's just enough light for me to find that little tin box. Think I ought to stay out here and watch? Yeah. Yeah, this snow is a good piece of luck. It'll cover our tracks. I'll leave the cabin door open. If you hear anyone coming along the trail, whistle. All right, but hurry. There's a lot of people use this trail. Hey, you quiet. Hey, quiet, I said. Hey, quit jumping on me. Friendly little cuss, aren't you? Down, I say. I don't want to play with you. Now go away. Here's the tin box. This light is so dim. Hey, go away, Pop. Go on, go on. Now, here's the one I'm looking for. Now, put the box back, and Pete will never know it's been moved. Now, hey. Where's my mitten? Did you find it, Pierce? Well, I thought you were keeping watch. Nobody's coming. Did you get the paper? Yeah, I got it here somewhere. Now, where in the dickens? What's wrong? I took the paper out of the box and put it in my mitten on the floor beside me. Now the mitten is gone. Gone? Oh, you're crazy. It's so dark in here. You well, maybe I kicked it accidentally. It must be here somewhere. I don't see it any place. couldn't have walked away all by itself. Where? Hey, that pup. I bet he took it. Did you see him? No, but the door was open and he's black. Come on. Must be out here somewhere. There he is in the snow. Come back here, you black mongrel. You're scaring him. He's running. I'll get him. Hey, don't shoot that gun. Somebody will hear it. Now, where's that dog? It's so dark, I don't see him anymore. You probably scared him so by shooting at him that he's still running. We'll never find him without a lantern. I don't see why you had to stick that paper in your mitten. It might have blown away if I'd have put it on the floor. I certainly thought the mitten was safe enough. That ornery little cur. I should have brained him. Say, Red, uh, maybe we can find the lantern in the house and trail him. Hey, listen. That sounds like a dog team coming. We gotta get out of here. Maybe we can come back when it's light. It's a cinch Pete won't be able to find the paper anyway. Come on, I'll come back early tomorrow before anyone's up. Maybe I can find it. About an hour after daybreak the following morning, Red looked up from the campfire at which he was cooking breakfast as Lucky approached. You back already? Did you find the mitten? Snowed last night, you know that. There weren't any tracks. I looked all over. I was there at Pete's cabin before anyone was awake. But it must have been around somewhere. That pup couldn't have eaten it. The snow covered all his tracks. He probably dragged the mitten off into the woods somewhere. You didn't leave any fresh tracks around in the snow yourself, did you? I think I'm crazy, Red. I could see from the trail that all the tracks around the cabin were covered. Well, I guess we're safe enough. If we can't find that mitten, I'm sure Pete won't be able to. Especially when he doesn't even know the paper's missing out of his tin box. And when he does miss it, he won't go looking for it in a strange mitten that his pup dragged off into the woods. What are you planning to do, Red? We'll do just what we plan to do. Go in and file this claim under our names. If Pete puts up a squawk, we just don't know what he's talking about. We'll wait until noon today and then go in and get a room at the hotel. And pretend we just mushed in from the north. <laughs> That night in the Silver Slipper Cafe, everyone was helping to celebrate the new strike made by Red and Lucky. 
As Pete Carruthers walked in the door, he was met by Jake. Hello there, Pete. Hey, I've been lucky tonight. I'm going to pay you back for the money you let me have in Francois's place the other day. Oh, no, Jake. Let it go till tomorrow. Well, I better take it now while I got it. All right. There you are. Thanks, Jake. Say, I suppose you heard about right, the strike that Red and Lucky made. Right. No, I didn't even know they were back. Well, they come back and filed their claim today. They're over at the bar now. There they are. I wonder why they didn't tell me about it. I'd better see them. Hello, Pete. Come on, name your poison. Yeah, Lickin' Red just made a strike. They're gonna be rich. Hello, Pete. Hello, boys. Why didn't you tell me the good news? Oh, you didn't happen to be around, that's all. Well, I should think you'd have found me. After all, half your claim is mine. Half yours? What do you mean? <laughs> What's he talking about? Well, you boys know I grubstaked you. That entitles me to half the claim. Oh, gosh, Pete. You've grubstaked so many people, I guess you just get everything mixed up. But you signed the paper. It's at home. Did you have any witnesses to prove we did this little deal you're dreaming of? Well, you know, I trusted you. You signed that paper. Wait, you got a little mixed up, Pete. You get that paper and maybe we'll remember. <laughs> hey, come on, boys. Let's have another following morning, Sergeant Preston looked gravely at the tin box opened on the table in Pete's cabin. You'd better tell me everything that happened, Pete. Now, are you sure you had the paper that proved you grubstaked Lucky and Red? Sure I had it. Right here in this tin box. Mm. You say you had no witnesses here when you signed the paper? No, I didn't. It's Red and Lucky were here. Well, there isn't anything you can do about it legally without that paper. Did Red and Lucky know where you kept it? Sure they did. They saw me put it away. Oh, I'm afraid you're too trusting, Pete. You mean you think they stole it? It's possible, but there isn't any way we can prove it. But they didn't get into town until yesterday. Hmm, that's how it looks. Well, come on, let's go outside. They may have left some tracks around. I doubt it, though, after that snow last night. Here, Mabel, Mabel, Mabel. Jimmy, there's no use looking for that pup anymore. Has Mabel disappeared? Yes, thank goodness. He wasn't in the house when we got back from the show the other night. Yes, somebody picked him up. Good riddance, I say. Sergeant Preston, you haven't seen anything of Mabel, have you? Why, no, I haven't, Jimmy. He's been gone since night before last. Jimmy, stop bothering the sergeant. He's got more important things to look for than that fool animal. Oh, but King could find him. He knows Mabel's name, don't you, King? I'll help you look for Mabel later, Jimmy. Right now, we're looking for some strange tracks. You better circle the cabin, Pete. Could I borrow King while you're looking? Or, or do you need him? Why, I don't need King right now. He doesn't know what I'm looking for. Go with Jimmy, King. Will you tell him to find Mabel, Sergeant? Find Mabel, boy. Where's Mabel? Come on, King. Find Mabel. We'll circle the cabin, too. Well, Pete, I guess there's no use. Nothing to show that anybody's been near your place. Yes, you're right, Sergeant. That's what I get for trusting too many people. Maybe you put that paper someplace else. Are you sure it was in that tin box? Dad, Sergeant Preston, come here. What ails that fool kid? What's wrong, Jimmy? Oh, come on, Pete. Maybe the pup was caught in a trap. Consign it. I was hoping he'd never find that fool dog. Hurry. King must have heard Mabel or smelled him or something. Mabel is down in a big hole. Too deep for me. I, I can't get him. Mabel's still alive? Yes, but he's pretty weak. He can't seem to make much noise. How could he fall down a hole? Here he is. Well, poor little fella. Here, Jimmy, take my hand. I'll lower you down in the hole and pull you and Mabel up. Uh, easy now. Don't worry, Mabel. I'm coming. Just like that fool dog, not to look where he's going. Poor Mabel. 
Mabel. Come on, boy. Say, Dad, here's one of your mittens. Down here beside Mabel. I suppose so. He was running away with it, I'll bet. I hand it up here, Jimmy. There you are, please. Now, maybe you'll be glad we found Mabel. You'll have another pair of mittens. Ah. All right, Jim, take my hand. I'll pull you up. Well, there you are. Wouldn't you know it. That dog has stolen at least a half dozen of my mittens. And the one I find with him isn't even mine. Mabel isn't hurt or anything. He'll be all right, Jim. Ah, well. This mitten fits me out. Hey, what's this? It's a paper. It was inside the mitten. Well, for the love... Well, what is it, Pete? It's the grub stake paper. What? Well, how Did Mabel do something awful bad, Dad? Not this time, Jim. We don't know yet how Mabel did it, but it looks as though we helped your dad find a fortune. But that dog couldn't get in the tin box? No, but he was probably standing beside the man who did. Well, can you beat that? Uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, you better take Mabel right home and feed him and take care of him. I'll wrap him in a blanket and give him part of that venison in the storehouse <laughs> and some hot canned milk. What? Oh, sure, sure, Dad. Gee, thanks, Sergeant, for lending me king. I never could have found Mabel without him. That's all right, Jimmy. Give me that mitten, Pete. King and I are going to town to find the owner out of it. Come on, King. The desk clerk at the Northern Hotel smiled as Sergeant Preston and his big dog, King, approached him in the lobby. Hello, Sergeant. How are you? Fine, Bill. I'd like some information. Anything you want, Sergeant. Are Red Davis and Lucky Darrell registered here? Yes, they're here. They're in room uh, 22. Huh? Ain't in now, though. Saw me about an hour ago. <laughs> They're celebrating a big strike they made. Would you mind letting me have a look at their room? I've got the key right here. Sure. Now, come on, I'll take you back. Thanks, Bill. Anything wrong, Sergeant? I don't know yet, but I think we'll soon find out. Well, it's a little irregular letting anyone in their room like this, but <laughs> Mounties are different. It won't take long. I'm trying to find the mate to uh, this mitten. Yep, here's the room. Come in with me, Bill. If I find that mitten, I'd like you to be a witness. Sure, I'd be glad to. Come on, King. Well, you don't have to look far. Isn't this it here on the bed? Uh, it looks like the mate, all right. Of course, there are hundreds of mittens like this up here. It's a regular kind you get the trading post. Francois has hundreds of them. I have another way of checking whether the mitten I have belongs to the same man that one does. You keep that mitten, Bill. King and I are going to wait in the lobby till Lucky and Red get back. There they are now, Sergeant. They're going back to the room. I don't want them to think I'm interested. Keep talking to me when they cross the lobby. Start it down the hall. What are you going to do? I'm going to give King the scent of this mitten that they found in Pete's cabin and tell him to search. As the mitten belongs to Lucky or Red, King will pick up the scent right here in the lobby. It's good and fresh, and he can't miss it. If he follows him, it'll be a double check. They've gone down the hall. Here, King. This mitten. Find him, fella. Come on, King. I'll lead you past the door. Does he know what you want him to do? Yes, he knows. This took a lot of training. Search, boy. Find him. He's picked up the scent. He's following Red and Lucky. Come on. This is all I needed. Oh, uh, you got that mitten we found in their room? Yep, I've got it. King is standing right at their door. Who is it? It's Sergeant Preston, Red. Open this door. Hello, Sergeant. 
Hi, Bill. What's wrong? Good work, King. What's the matter? What's wrong with that dog? He's trying to find the owner of this mitten. He seems to think it's yours, Red. Why, why, no, that's not mine. I never saw it before. King knows it's yours. And I searched your room before you came in and found its mate. Show it to him, Bill. Here it is. Red, keep still, Lucky. This is a frame-up. You can't prove you found that in my room? Oh, yes, I can. Bill came in with me, and he can witness it. Yep. We found it about an hour ago. You're both under arrest for breaking into Pete's cabin and attempted fraud. But but how did you find that mitten? Well, a mongrel pup named Mabel found it. But uh, you'll find out about that later. I'm taking you two to jail. And when you're safely locked up, King and I are going to take Mabel a bone for saving us a lot of hard work. Yes, thanks to King and Mabel, this case is closed. <laughs> Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy to welcome their special guest, Rosemary Clooney. Richard Hudnut of Fifth Avenue brings you the Edgar Bergen Show with Charlie McCarthy. It's Sunday night and time again for Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, and Ray Noble and his orchestra. Brought to you by Richard Hudnut, makers of scientific hair preparation. Tonight our guest is the number one singing star, Rosemary Clooney. And now, celebrating Edgar Bergen Day in Decatur, Michigan, here is Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. Ah, bless you all, bless you all for that applause. And to our new sponsor, Richard Hudnut, bless you for those checks. (laughs) Well, Charlie? Yeah? Here we are again. What an opening line. (laughs) Bergen, we're here to launch the season, not sink it. All right. (laughs) This is the first show of our 15th year on radio, and it gives me a warm feeling inside that we have chosen to do it right here in Decatur, Michigan, the very town where I gave my first performance. Isn't it sort of like uh, returning to the scene of the crime? Oh, no. (laughs) Just think, Decatur, Decatur. I once walked barefoot down these streets. Yeah, you walked barefoot everywhere until you met me. Oh, no. (laughs) And on Sundays, I would dress up in my Buster Brown collar and with my blonde locks streaming down over my shoulders. Yeah, well, that stream dried up all right. (laughs) It's nice that you could get back here for your second childhood. Oh, no. I wish you wouldn't give the people the impression that I'm old. At my last birthday, weren't there 35 candles on my cake? Well, there were on the piece I had, yeah. <laughs> you keep 
teaching them, Bergen, and I'll keep knocking them out of the park. Yeah. <laughs> well, joke if you must, Charlie. But when I think of how nice these people have been to me, my friends, I, I sort of choke up. Well, I'd let you use my handkerchief, Bergen, but I, I got a dead beetle tied up in it all. <laughs> I'm proud of Decatur. Oh, it was in this very hamlet. Down, boy, down. All right. <laughs> this little hamlet certainly produced a big ham. All right. <laughs> I am moved to make a speech at this time. How will I begin? Well, talk about your operation. That's a good opening. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, sure drags, doesn't it? No. As I look into your smiling faces, who's smiling? Or I've seen happier faces on a dollar watch. Or as I look into your smiling faces, I remember my life among you. I came here as a baby. Things were rough then. No talcum powder. No. <laughs> In this very theater, in the silent picture days that I played a player piano. A player piano? Gad, what talent, dear. <laughs> On Delaware Street, there's a little church, and it was in the basement of that church that I gave my first performance. I, I did bird imitations. Bird imitations? Oh, no. Yes, yes, yes. And they were so natural, the birds loved me and followed me. Well, I've heard people say you were for the birds. <laughs> Go ahead, Sonny. Yeah. Listen to this one. There. Uh-huh. You did it, didn't you? Yes, yes. Could you identify the bird? Well, now, let me see. I would say... I would say that was a bald eagle crying for his toupee. No. <laughs> No, it wasn't. Was it the making call of a pair of corduroy trousers? No. <laughs> it was the yellow-breasted sapsucker. No, red. Yes. Well, for your sake, I hope it was a female. <laughs> well, why? Well, you'll never be able to explain the egg you just laid. Oh. <laughs> All right, so maybe I laid an egg. But I'm glad I'm here. You know, it feels good to be back home in Michigan. It's just like that song, remember? I want to go back on the farm with a milk pail on my arm. Doing what I did again back in Michigan. Aren't you going to say hello to me? No. Oh, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah of course. Naturally. Uh, hello there. Hello there, Mr. Uh, uh, well, 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 hello there. Uh, Mr. Uh, oh, come, come. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh, oh, you know. Uh, uh, Mr. 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 Come, come now, your mind is wandering. Well, that's okay. <laughs> Leave it alone, and it'll come home. <laughs> dickery, dickery, doc. No. <laughs> well, did 
happened this summer on your farm? Yeah, yeah, yes indeed, though. McCall Bessie had a calf. Uh-huh. Boy or a girl? Well, I guess Bessie's a girl or she couldn't have had a calf. <laughs> I suppose so, Neil. Seems to figure out that way. Yeah. And vacation time goes fast, doesn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it goes, or... Yeah. Say, Mr. Bergen, who was that feller bellering about beauty as I came in here? Oh, well, that was Bill Baldwin. Yeah? Yes. Name sounds familiar. Has he had it long? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was talking about Richard Hudnut. Yeah. Well, you can see he's the gossipy type. Yeah. <laughs> Bill was doing a commercial. Oh, he was? Yes. You see, a commercial serves to tell the audience about the sponsor's product. Well, now, that sounds real clever. I wonder why somebody hasn't thought about that before. Oh, Do you know who our sponsor is? Well, I think I caught the name was a Mr. Walnut. No, no, no. <laughs> Butternut. No, no, no. It's Richard Hudnut. Oh, yeah, that's a fellow. Yeah. He's our sponsor. Of course, you know what a sponsor is. Well, it's the husband of a spinster. No, no. <laughs> Sponsor pays for the program. Well, bless his heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Hudnut does so because he wants to tell the people about Richard Hudnut, home permanent wave. Well, what's that for? To make your home wavy? No, no. <laughs> no, it's so a girl can fix her hair at home to be attractive and wavy. I saw a girl once, her hair was straight and uh, her scalp was wavy. Is that true? <laughs> Well, perhaps her hair was straight because she failed to use a home permanent that had special neutralizer. Maybe so, I don't know. Yeah. You see, the Richard Hudnut home permanent has a neutralizing agent. You know how it works. Oh, yeah. The agent comes to the girl's house and uh, neutralizes her. Oh, no. <laughs> is a scientific process that safeguards and preserves the natural vitality and the resilience of the hair. Oh, no! (laughs) By the way, Mortimer, you have very attractive hair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been growing hair for nigh on to 14 years. (laughs) What's the secret of your beautiful hair? Well, you saddle soap. Oh, I... Next time, I suggest you try Richard Hudnut shampoo. Girls all over the world use that product. Well, why? Why? Well, because... Well, confidentially, it helps them to catch a man. You mean the Hudnut stuff helps them run faster? Oh, no. (laughs) Well, it's because it makes them look more beautiful. Oh. And remember the old saying. (laughs) That's right. Uh, What? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) A thing of beauty... A thing of beauty is... Is what? Well, it ain't me, I know that. <laughs> well, I think I'll go home and put some of that shampoodle on my noodle. Well, toodaloo, toodaloo. <laughs> During our 15 years in radio, Charlie and I have had the pleasure of working with many fine singers. The young lady I'm about to introduce now, in the short space of a few years, has established herself as one of the all-time greats. Her record sales are, well, to coin a phrase, record sales. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present Miss Rosemary Clooney.
as I love you. You wouldn't worry me half as much as you do. You're nice to me when there's no one else around. You only build me up to let me down. If you miss me half as much. As I miss you, you wouldn't stay away half as much as you do. I know that I would never be this blue. thinking, uh, when the show's over, how about joining me in a little stroll down Lover's Lane? How do you know this town has a Lover's Lane? After we're through, that's what they'll call it. <laughs> well, Charlie, I like you. You do, huh? Putty, putty, putty. But you see, I'm a woman. Yeah. Well, even Eisenhower and Stevenson would agree on that. <laughs> Hello, Rosemary. Hello, Charlie. Yeah, hello. I've been having such a splendid time talking to my old friend. Yeah. My, how they love me. Oh, sure, sure. Bertie, do you want to know what the people in this town really think of you? Well, certainly. Well, I found out. How? Well, I wormed them out of the... Out of the... <laughs> <laughs> Is recharged, Wow. <laughs> I wormed it out of them with my tape recorder. Tape worm the coffee, they called me. Uh-huh. So you talk to my old friends about me. Uh-huh. Oh, I'd love to hear those interviews. I probably will blush a little. Oh, boy. Are you asking for it? Yeah. <laughs> well, Bertie, Ray Noble and I sort of made a production of it. Music and everything. And here it goes. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the voices you are about to hear are real voices. They are the voices of Bergen's friends. And his enemies. Who outnumber his friends. <laughs> the school teacher who taught him figures. The girl next door. Who also taught him figures. <laughs> this is Bergen the boy. Who grew into a man. Why well, say you know we had exactly the same arrangement in England. <laughs> the first person interviewed was Bergen's old girlfriend. <laughs> You know, Charles, looking up Edgar's old girlfriend makes me feel a bit sentimental. Someday I'm going back to England to the girl that I left behind. Is she waiting for you? Well, I'm not exactly sure, old boy. She's married now and has ten children, you see. <laughs> I won't believe we're through till I hear it from her own lips. <laughs> well, the girl had to do something while she was waiting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the place, Blossom McDougall. I say, Charles, I'm key to a concert pitch. <laughs> Inga's always talked of how beautiful Blossom was. Oh, quite, quite. Someone's coming. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Rick, don't let it crawl back in the sink. It'll fly to me. I'm afraid there's been some mistake, you know. Uh, we're looking for Blossom. Oh, I'm Blossom. You've certainly gone to Pops. <laughs> You're kind of a seedy pair yourself. Well, old girl, when I do mean old girl, <laughs> we're here to get your memories of Edgar Bergen, you see. Bergen? Uh huh. Edgar Bergen? Yes. Never heard of him. Sure left an impression. I see, when I was young, I had so many boyfriends. Sam, Joe, Harry, Tom, Phil, George. <laughs> They'd all sit around begging for my kisses. Uh, really? Yeah. Fellas, where are you now that I need you? <laughs> Look, uh, this might help you to recognize Edgar. Uh, here's a recent picture we have of him. Oh, let's see. Uh -huh. Yes, sir. Oh, what a horrible way to go. <laughs> Remember him? Egghead, the silent swing. <laughs> Bergen said it was a big romance you two had. He did? Yeah. When Edgar came over to see me, all he did was sit around squeaking his high-button shoes. <laughs> so I finally said, Father has his bank turned. Now's your chance to steal a kiss. <laughs> what did he do? He kissed Father. <laughs> Now, Charlie, that's not true. Blossom was crazy about me. The next voice you hear is that of one of the town's ex-mayors. How do you do, Mr. Mayor? Uh, we should like to ask a favor of you. Boys, you've come to the right party. Uh -huh. From the rock-bound coast of Maine to the sunny slops of California... <laughs> Mike Perry stands for honesty, integrity, and devotion to this great community. If you want a traffic ticket fixed, it'll cost you two bucks. Now look loose and quivery. That's not what we came to see you about. Well, if it's those stories about honest Mike taking graft, they're lies. 
I know that after two years in office on a salary of $2,000 a year, I retired with over $90,000 in the bank. <laughs> but I can explain it. How? My wife was a very thrifty shopper. <laughs> the old girl must have run into some smashing bargains, though. No insinuations, Brushlip. <laughs> of course, I did make a little money out of the new fire alarm boxes I installed. You had to put a quarter in before you pulled the lever. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. Well, the fire engine didn't come till you got two plums and a cherry. <laughs> But brought in a lot of dough. Well, see here, old man, uh, can we get down to business now? You see, we're here to get your recollections of Edgar Bergen. Bergen? Uh-huh. Edgar Bergen? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what does he do? Well, he's my partner. Oh, he's in the lumber business, eh? <laughs> Now, look, Lumpy. Oh, wait a minute, now. Uh, surely you must remember Edgar Bergen. Oh, yes, indeed. Why, 20 years ago, on Arbor Day, we planted a tree in his honor. It was so weak, we had to put a stick in the ground beside it. Did the tree live? No, the tree died, but the stick grew. <laughs> what happened to the stick? Young man, did Bergen ever tell you how you happened to be? Well, that doesn't. I'll listen, guys. Uh, you know, so, before we leave, do you have any other recollections of Edgar? Yes, I remember he did get into a little scrape with the police. Uh-huh. He drove a car that wasn't his. Did he, did he steal a car? Well, not exactly. Uh -huh. You see, he found it parked in front of a cemetery, and he figured the owner was dead. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> The next person we interviewed was Bergen's old school teacher. She's 87 years old and retired now. Good afternoon, madam. We'd like to talk to you about Bergen. Oh, thanks. I'll have one. <laughs> Have one bergen? Oh, I thought you said a shot of bourbon. <laughs> my doctor says that for my health, I should have just a wee drop before going to bed. I see. You know something? I find myself going to bed four or five times a night. <laughs> I she uses her hot water bottle for a chaser. <laughs> Perhaps we didn't make ourselves quite clear. Uh, we should like to hear your recollections of Edgar Bergen, you see. Bergen? Yes. Uh, was he the little boy who dropped the live frog down my bustle? Before I got it out, I'd erased half the blackboard. <laughs> I thought I was something with my guided missile spitballs. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound exactly like Edgar. Tell us what kind of a pupil was Edgar. Oh, Edgar was very good in... Uh, oh, he was excellent in... Uh, Oh, he got good marks in... Uh, he was a dope. <laughs> Thank you. The prosecution rests. I don't understand it. Those people... Well, they, I guess they... we did a good job of impersonating those people. I hope Edgar falls for it. Turn that off, Ray. Hey, he's really good. Really, 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 really. <laughs> Oh, so that's it, Charlie. It was all a fake. You hired actors to record all that slander about me. <laughs> Charlie, why? 
Why did you have to play a trick like that on our 15th anniversary? Bagging? If it wasn't for tricks like that, we wouldn't have a 15th anniversary. <laughs> Now, here is our lovely guest, Rosemary Clooney, with her second song of the evening, Looking for a Boy. I am just a little girl who's looking for a little boy, who's looking for a girl. Tell me, please, where can he be? The loving he who will bring to me the harmony I'm dreaming of. It'll be goodbye. Love affairs are all arranged in heaven. My guardian angel's holding out on me. So I'm looking for a boy. But five, six, six, or seven. And won't be happy till I'm on his knees. I'll be blue until he comes my way. Hope he'll take the cue when I am I am just a little girl who's looking for a little boy, who's looking for a Bergen will be back in a moment. Shine up your hair. Get the shampoo with shine in it. Richard Hutnut Enriched Cream Shampoo. Richard Hutnut Shampoo shines up dull hair. Makes use of nature's own beauty secret, real egg formula. Egg is a natural beautifier for dry, dull hair. Scientists agree about that. And when you use Richard Hudnut Enriched Cream Shampoo, you get the natural benefits of real egg formula. How it shines up dull, drab hair. That's why the beauty experts at the Richard Hudnut Fifth Avenue Beauty Salon say, this is the shampoo with shine in it. 
You'll love using it. It's a smooth, fragrant liquid cream. And it makes your hair so shiny, so soft, so manageable. Shine up With Richard Hudnut Enriched Cream Shampoo. Oh, Mr. Baldwin, I just brought in two dozen eggs from the farm for Mr. Hudnut to use in his shampoo. Oh, well, that, that, that's wonderful, oh, sure, Mortimer. Sure, yeah. By the way, how much are you uh, asking for your eggs today? Well, I'm asking 60 cents a dozen for the big ones and 70 cents for the small ones. <laughs> but, but why do you ask more for the small ones? Small ones are harder to find. Oh, Mortimer. <laughs> Edgar Bergen. Charlie, this is my old friend, Dr. Bope, who took care of my aches and pains when I was in grammar school. Uh, you know, Doctor, I've heard a lot about Decatur from Bergen. Why is it people from small towns are so proud of it? Well, Charlie, it may be the feeling that in a small town such as ours, where everybody knows all his neighbors, there is no such a thing as being ignored. Everybody is not only a person, but in this way, a personage. We never said there was that boy playing the piano at the show last night. We said that Bergen boy. This belonging and sharing is the precious heritage of all small towns. Heritage that is produced in many of our greatest Americans who derive their philosophy from this democratic condition. Singing. This is Bill Baldwin reminding you that Sunday is Fun Day on CBS. This is the CBS Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night it's Dark Fantasy, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.